0: Hello and welcome to The Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, December the 3rd. This week, what is the future for medical education in the 21st century? A special Lancet commission will explain more. But just before that, some brief highlights from the current issue of The Lancet. It's dated December the 4th to the 10th. The long editorial follows up a critical report by the Centers for Disease Control in the United States concerning late-stage diagnosis of cancer in the United States. And we have research articles previously published online about sympathetic renal denervation for patients with treatment-resistant hypertension on the effect of statins for people with cardiovascular disease and concerning pre-referral rectal artesunate for the treatment of severe childhood malaria. But this week's issue is dominated by a special Lancet commission. It was published online on Monday, November 29th, and it concerns medical education, specifically what the future of medical education should be in the 21st century. This is a major collaboration between the Lancet and many leading figures in academic medicine worldwide. So earlier I spoke to one of the key authors behind the commission, Dr. Lincoln Chen, who is president of the China Medical Board and based at Harvard University in the United States and I began by asking him to define the problem. What has gone wrong with medical education?
1: First of all, what's gone right is that medical education, we believe, has made a huge difference around the world to health improvements since Flexner produced his reform report in 1910, bringing science and the university in medical education. But after 100 years of the Flexner model, we are beginning to witness many, many breakdowns of the health care system to which the medical education produces professionals to serve. There's an insufficient focus on patients and populations. Lack of teamwork as professionalism has created silos. uh, Inadequate primary health care access because of over-specialization. Focus on acute and fragmented episodic care rather than continuous family-based care, high costs, lack of affordability, and even excessive commercialism of the provider cadres. So these are generating huge problems uh, for people who need to be better served by the medical professions. And by the way, that's not just doctors, but it includes obviously nurses, public health, pharmacists, dentists. Sort of allied, health, allied health
0: professionals. All,
1: all, yeah, all of the health professions,
0: yes. And before we go into more detail, is this a worldwide, is this a global problem? And are there pockets of good practice going on that we can turn to for inspiration and trying to get things right?
1: The interesting thing about our study is that we believe that these problems are similar in both the richer and the poorer uh, countries. These problems are of different character, but the symptoms that I've just described are present in a country like Botswana that has only $3 per capita in health care expenditures as opposed to the United States with a thousand or a two thousand fold more $7,000 per capita expenditures. And there are pockets of good practice in some countries. Uh, as examples, Thailand has invested a lot in appropriate nursing. Uh, development so there are four or six nurses per doctor. Uh, They have rural placement of doctors so doctors have in medical training exposure to rural service and compulsory service. Other countries have also been concerned about the coverage of rural areas of Twenty years ago, Iran uh, developed a provincial medical school in every province to make sure that their pro- backward provinces had medical coverage and so forth.
0: Do tell us a bit more about this commission because this is well, it's a weighty report that we're publishing and it was published online when you launched it a few days ago. But this is a real collaborative effort, isn't it, between many leading figures in, in academic medicine?
1: It certainly is. It's to celebrate the 100th year anniversary of the Abraham Flexner 1910 report on bringing the science to into medical education and putting medical schools into universities. That was followed then by the Welch Rose report in 1915 in public health and the Goldmark report in nursing and so forth. And these are 20 world commissioners from diverse countries and disciplines involving all of the major medical professions, and both academic but also applied uh, leaders who came together, examined 100 years of experience and the evidence and literature, but also brought their wisdom around this question of what kinds of reforms do we need so that we can better service our diverse populations into the
0: 21st century rather than simply continue with the now outdated tools of the 20th century. Go on, if you would, and tell us what actually tangibly needs to happen. What sort of different types of approach do we need to take to improve medical education in the 21st century?
1: We think that um, there's a set of reforms in um, instruction in the education and a set of reforms in the institutions, the organizations, in taking a systems approach. We believe that Flexner sparked a science-based set of reforms and in the middle of the 20th century there was a set of problem-based, more integrative reforms. We now call for a third generation of systems-based reforms where those symptoms of the failures I spoke about all reflect collapse of the healthcare system and that we need to reorient The instruction and the institutions toward improving the health system's performance to meet the needs of the patients and populations. More specifically, in the instruction, we're talking about a more competency-based rather than simply a certification-based set of skills that are able to perform much better in systems that include, of course, uh, things like much better teamwork than simply siloed uh, professions, uh, more continuous interaction with patients rather than episodic uh, continuation, more respect for uh, and linkages to the community and not just being isolated in tertiary hospitals and so forth. So there's a set of instructional reforms and then there's a set of institutional reforms including critically the importance of getting the education sector universities, as well as the health sector, together in the planning because in one group, education produced the health
0: workers but the health sector uses the health workers in the health system, and these are not well-matched. Indeed, it's interesting to hear you say that. It's almost like we're talking about health systems. We talk about health systems a lot at the Lancet, but it's, it's having that broader awareness, isn't it, of the system that you're connected to, rather than going at it just one tiny fragment of it. To achieve that which you've just described, that's going to require massively strong leadership locally, nationally and internationally, so how is that going to happen?
1: We propose in the Commission report that uh, there needs to be uh, leadership uh, exercised both by uh, the leaders of the professions and the universities which are producing uh, the professionals, but also that the public needs to become more engaged and that the leadership needs to be broader societal and political leaders beyond those in the professions, so outside as well as inside the professions. And that can only come through providing the information that we have and calling upon the moral and the ethical impulse of the people and the leaders to improve the health of the population. This, by the way, is not different than what uh, Abraham Flexner did 100 years ago. Of course, there was seed funding from uh, foundations, and we hope to mobilize Uh, through the Commission process such modest support, but that would have to be more catalytic because ultimately it has to be the public, societal leaders, and then the leadership of the professions. And the first step is the sensitivity and the change in the mindset of these kinds of problems and what are
0: some of the potential solutions that we recommend. Thank you. And finally, this Commission is published? online a few days ago in this December the 4th issue 2010 of The Lancet. What happens now in terms of making it a reality and over what time scale would you be looking at to see change and how would any change be monitored to see if we're making any progress?
1: We have immediate follow-up action underway. In other words, uh, the report is being presented at WHO in the middle of December. In January it will be presented at the Prince Mahidol meeting in Thailand which is a global forum on human resources, 1,000 people. We have Washington, World Bank, U.S. government, the National Institute of Health presentation early February. So there's a set of global presentations. Every commissioner in Africa, Latin America, Asia We'll also be releasing the report at the national level, and there are many regional and national releases to promote discussion. So there's a set of what I would call immediate dissemination activities, but we don't see this as a miraculous magic bullet. One step will solve all these problems. We see the Commission as sparking a set of discussions and sensitization and debate even with a decade-long process of reform, just as it took Flexner one or two, one to three decades
0: to see uh, his recommendations actually get realized. Indeed, I think that's a very important point to finish with. Dr. Lincoln Chen, many thanks indeed for the interview and obviously all the details of the commission, the commission itself and uh, commentaries that we're publishing alongside. More details on thelancet.com and in the December the 4th issue of The Lancet. Dr. Lincoln Chen, on the line from Harvard, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. Many thanks indeed to Lincoln Chen and to you all for listening. See you next week.